This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. You're listening to Leadership in Action on Business Radio. Welcome back. This is Leadership in Action on SiriusXM's Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm Jeff Klein. I'm the Executive Director of the Ann and John McNulty Leadership Program, and I'm joined by my good buddy and colleague, Mike Useem. By joined, I mean he's here with me on Zoom, which is uh, about all the joining we do these days. And today, we're shining a light on the organizations that have been honored with Beacon Awards uh, from the University of Pennsylvania and the Lippmann family. Uh, our next guest is Vineet Singhal. Vineet is the co-founder and CEO of Care Message, a nonprofit organization whose mission is to leverage technology to help safety net organizations fulfill the essential needs of underserved populations. Vineet, uh, welcome to Leadership in Action. Thank you so much. It's good to be here. All right. Um, let me just say a word about Vineet, and then Mike, I'll turn it over to you to get us into our conversation. Um, Vineet, you are a published researcher in the areas of molecular biology and epidemiology um, at the Mount Sinai School of Medicine, the NIH, and the Stanford School of Medicine. Um, you are a graduate of Stanford, and you've also served as the student representative to the Stanford Board of Trustees. You've studied management and leadership uh, over at our, our, with our good friends at, at Harvard, um, and you are a co-founder and the current CEO of Care Message. So, Mike, why don't you get us into this uh, dialogue? Vinny, great to have you on the program. Congratulations again on receiving the, uh, the Lipman Beacon Award. And I'm going to ask you just to get us going here to describe on the ground some of the services that you do render. And uh, just to offer a couple words by way of um, kind of underscoring what you do do, you're described as a nonprofit organization whose mission is to leverage technology to help safety net organizations fulfill the needs of underserved populations. So take us to the ground, put us in the office of um, one of your people working with one of these organizations. What does it feel like to be a beneficiary of Care Message? Yeah, thank you, Mike. And, and it's great to be here. And, and thank you for that uh, introduction. Uh, um, my, my time at HBS was limited to a short course uh, that I did, but if I ever get an MBA, uh, it would have to be at this point from, from Wharton. Um, so, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's right, great. Our to, admissions yeah. director will be calling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Um, so, you know, thank you um, again for this opportunity. And, you know, I, I wanted to <clears throat> highlight uh, to the question that was asked um, some of the things that influence um, the work that we do today and how that's impacted by COVID-19 uh, and, and the circumstances in which we find ourselves today. Um, the overarching mission of Care Message is to um, serve as a um, communication channel between um, healthcare providers that serve um, medically underserved populations across the country and uh, more specifically, I'm talking about organizations that are um, community health centers, uh, federally qualified health centers, free clinics, charitable clinics. Um, there, there are many, many organizations that fall into this category. Um, 
and and the patients that they serve, which um, you know predominantly are individuals that uh, don't have uh, very good health insurance. Uh, they they are mostly Medicaid beneficiaries or are uninsured, and um, in in many instances are dealing with the circumstances of uh, lack of income. Um, or adequate income, uh, you know, uh, homelessness, uh, dealing with food insecurity, dealing with other barriers to uh, leading a healthy life that that make it again difficult to manage some of the underlying chronic conditions that they might be experiencing, like diabetes or hypertension or you know uh, other other cardiovascular conditions or depression or other mental health conditions. Um, so the, the purpose of what Care Message has been doing for, for the last seven years uh, has really been around uh, enabling these organizations that serve these patients to more adequately and more proactively reach out to them about, let's say, reminders about upcoming appointments to make sure that they make their appointments um, and, uh, you know, reminders about medications or cancer screenings or other types of things and, and providing education and coaching uh, more proactively around self-management of, of these chronic conditions around nutrition and exercise and, 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 and stress management and, and compliance uh, in general with, with healthcare um, uh, actions. Um, and and the, the reason why we have found, um, you know, uh, I think efficacy of what we do uh, in, in this population is because of the fact that we leverage uh, texting as the primary method of communication as opposed to uh, using mobile apps or using, uh, you know, phone calls or other forms of communication that are predominantly, you know, endemic to this, to the, to the healthcare space. Um, and uh, what's interesting about text messaging is that, uh, at least according to the last report um, that I saw from the Pew Research Center, the use of text messaging is inversely proportional to income and education in the U.S., with lower income, less educated individuals using texting two to four times as much as individuals that have a higher income and have more education. And that intuitively makes sense because, um, you know, within this population, you have, uh, you know, you have very basic phones a lot of the times, or even if you have smartphones, there's not consistent access to data. But text messaging is so inexpensive and so ubiquitous that, um, you know, it's, it's utilized extensively. So that's one reason why we have been able to be successful. And then the second reason is um, our, our focus is not just on, you know, leveraging texting, but actually making it relevant, making it useful um, to this population when we're recommending let's say recipes for diabetics, we're not just providing, you know, uh, recipes that are provided to normal diabetics or, or people that are, you know, in, in quote unquote, the normal uh, general population. We're understanding that the population that we serve is uh, very, very special and very unique and has very specific needs around, um, you know, their diet and, and uh, their circumstances. They might not necessarily have a kitchen at home where they can cook their meals. So we, we ask them questions like, do you have a kitchen where you can cook? And we are sensitive to their budgets and make sure that any recipes that we send can be made with relatively few ingredients, with relatively few resources, 
and can be uh, that can be procured in food insecure environments. So those are the kinds of things that make what we do fairly unique um, in this space, given our, our our focus on this population, as well as uh, the fact that we are trying to develop technology in a way that directly addresses some of the circumstances that our patients find themselves in. So, Vinny, really, really interesting. It certainly helped me feel like I'm on the ground and maybe I'm one of the people, a patient at a health service that's receiving your benefits. I've got a very quick follow-up, and then we're going to kick over to Jeff here. Um, And that is, uh, as Jeff described you at the outset, you began in health and you're still in health and a way of thinking. So, but you've gone from epidemiology to providing services to the underserved uh, uh-huh. and discontinuity at the same time. So what, what got you to move from, uh, call it academic research medicine to delivering healthcare, or at least assisting the delivery of healthcare in the way that you do? Sure. Um, so um, the research that was just described in my bio uh, was conducted when I was uh, in high school in, in New York uh, and when I was an undergrad. And you know, during the summers, I worked at uh, the NIH and, and other places. So it was really during my undergraduate time at, at Stanford that my my original intent was to go into an MD PhD program and, and pursue a career in academic medicine. Um, and I was doing all the things to to pursue that, including taking the MCATs and applying to different medical schools and things like that. But I also had the honor and the privilege to work in. Uh, safety net settings um, across the country and, and specifically in, in Galveston, Texas, which is where my parents were working as physicians at the time. Um, <clears throat> and what was really interesting um, about that experience was that this was right after one of the worst hurricanes um, in the history of the city had just hit and had devastated uh, you know, the population there particularly the safety net population, the rate of uh, uninsured uh, patients had gone up dramatically. Very few providers were open because of the hurricane. Um, And the clinic that I was working in as a volunteer um, in between my freshman and sophomore year um, was one of the only places that people without health insurance could get care. Um, And, you know, I, I, uh, started out just making coffee and, and filing charts, but eventually I was able to um, earn the responsibility of uh, doing patient intake and uh, doing point of care testing and patient advocacy. And I probably worked with you know a few hundred patients during the course of my several months there. Um, and I, I distinctly remember um, realizing how um, different the experience of these patients was to my own experience as a patient. I had struggled with morbid obesity and prediabetes as a teenager, um, and I had lost over 100 pounds uh, through a rigorous regimen of diet and exercise that was only possible because my endocrinologist had, um, you know, given me really good guidance on what to do, and I had wonderful resources, including parents who are both physicians and nutritionists and personal trainers and and you name it, I was very, very lucky to have a team helping me. But the patients I was seeing and working with every single day in, in Galveston were, you know, dealing with issues that were far more serious than, than mine uh, ever was. Um, but they had access to a tiny fraction of the resources that I did. Um, you know, uh, they had maybe a couple of appointments 
a year with a doctor, but with no <clears throat> real proactive communication in between or any kind of proactive support. Um, and I, I knew how difficult it, it is to, uh, or it was to uh, lose all that weight and, and understand, um, you know, even start with just understanding the, the, the um, fundamentals of what causes diabetes and what's the relationship between insulin and, and sugar and, uh, you know, all the different fundamentals that have made me uh, much more aware of the decisions that I make every single day. Um, so, you know, I think that was really the inspiration for uh, something like Care Message because obviously, you know, the kinds of resources that I had access to, I wish everybody in the world could have access to them, but, you know, obviously that's not feasible. But is there something else that is feasible, that is scalable, to at least provide that education and that support um, and that coaching um, and just that proactive touch that can make a pretty significant difference um, in, in the lives of people who have never experienced that before and, you know, have, have not really been adequately served by our healthcare system. Um, so uh, that was really the inspiration to, to start Care Message. Really helpful. Thank you, Annette. Jeff, over to you. Right, let me uh, first remind our listeners that this is Leadership in Action on Business Radio, Sirius XM 132. And I'm your host, Jeff Klein. I'm here with Mike Yuseem, and our guest this half hour is Vineet Singhal, who is the co-founder and CEO of Care Message, one of this year's Beacon Awards honorees. Um, Vineet, we know, you know, the, the Beacon Awards were really conceived to, um, to highlight and to celebrate um, transferable practices, the, the kinds of, of learning and lessons that are present in organizations and, and, and often can serve as a driving force behind expansion to new markets or expansion into new, you know, segments, um, new geographies, et cetera. You know, if you would, could you highlight, um, you know, one or two of the lessons that, you know, you and, and the rest of the leadership at Care Message have, have arrived at um, by doing the work, um, and then maybe point out how other organizations could, um, could leverage these lessons and, and mm -hmm. apply them to their work? Sure. Um, I think the list of lessons is very long. Uh, the list of mistakes <laughs> I'm sure. is longer than I think we have time for in the segment, but I'll pick, I'll pick a couple. Um, so, uh, you know, I think one that, one that stands out right off the bat is um, I think from the very beginning, we have been uh, ultra focused on building a sustainable organization. What I mean by that is, you know, we, we, we know that, um, in the, in the nonprofit sector, in the social sector, there, uh, there is a need for organizations that can achieve outsized impact because the problems that we are experiencing, um, in a societal way are outsized in nature. They're really, really significant and really, really, um, uh, messy and complex and big, right? It's affecting a lot of people. Um, but the problem tends to be in the, in the nonprofit space is that a lot of organizations are limited in their ability to drive impact because of the fact that they might be uh, purely philanthropically funded. And so they might be constrained by their ability to raise 
uh, donor capital or philanthropic capital. Sure. Um, and they might also, you know, potentially have models that uh, don't allow them to scale. And um, the word scale is a very, um, you know, uh, polarizing word because, you know, nobody really knows what that means. But um, what I really mean by that is like, if you have a model that really works, can you actually make it available uh, to lots and lots of people uh, that can benefit from it? Right. And so I think from our, from our, from our early years, I think we had a, a very strong focus on ensuring that we would not be solely dependent on philanthropic capital, that we would actually be able to generate revenue on our own by um, essentially selling the product that we had built to organizations that could afford it and that would have uh, both a mission incentive and a financial incentive to purchase it. Um, and so, uh, you know, we have done that with some of the organizations that we serve that pay, um, uh, you know, a monthly fee or an annual fee to use care message. Um, while others pay nothing at all or pay a very small nominal fee, uh, particularly organizations that are free and charitable clinics and are providing services purely philanthropically. Um, and at the same time, I think using technology has enabled us to, to scale um, very quickly. And, you know, we've gone from our first set of messages uh, uh, sent in October of 2013 uh, to now we have facilitated over 100 million messages between patients and providers um, in the safety net uh, to over, you know, 6 million patients um, uh, across 300 plus organizations in 41 states. Um, and we're not a huge organization. We're, we're relatively small, uh, all things considered, yeah. um, you know, and, and so I think being able to have a model that can scale and is sustainable, I think is really beneficial if you can make it work. Obviously, not every single nonprofit or social um, services agency can be sustainable and should not be necessarily have to be sustainable. But my lesson would be that if you can make it work and if you can do it, I would highly encourage that because your ability to make an impact on the things that really matter to you uh, will increase. And Vinny, thanks for that, because I, I, I think that's, I mean, it, it's both an important headline, um, but I, I think the way that you fill in the color around the decision based on your own experience um, makes makes it a really accessible piece of advice. Um, I, I want to ask you a slightly different kind of question, um, and it's funny, as, as we've been sitting here, uh, I've, I was receiving text messages from my employer, the University of Pennsylvania, and it was asking me to, you know, text messages asking me to complete my daily symptoms check so that uh, I could be authorized to uh, show up on campus if I if I needed to be there today. Uh, it happens I do. Great, great, great. And I'm wondering, I mean, you're, you're right at this intersection of medicine and technology, and, you know, COVID-19 has changed so many of the fundamental assumptions between how how patients and healthcare providers interact. Um, what's most exciting to you about the impacts of these changes in assumptions and operating models and, and the way that technology can, can enhance mm -hmm. uh, effectiveness? Yeah, I mean, I think the most obvious example is the shift to telemedicine that has happened in the last 
you know, three or four months. And, um, you know, our customers, our partners, our clinics um, have basically gone from no telemedicine to almost all telemedicine for most appointments that they do that can be done virtually. Um, and, you know, I've, I've talked to many of these clinics and their CEOs and, and uh, other executives. Um, and uh, the one thing that I keep hearing is, uh, you know, I wish that we had done this sooner uh, because it is totally transformed the way in which we provide care. We're so much more efficient. We're seeing so many more patients. Uh, our doctors are so much happier. Uh, overwhelmingly has been a success. Um, even though it was success through necessity um, as, as a consequence of the, of the pandemic. Um, so I think, I think overall, I, I would say uh, the, the answer to the question from my perspective is that, um, you know, uh, I think there's a reluctance uh, to adopt technology or to think about technological solutions to problems that, historically have not necessarily incorporated a technological component. Um, and I think there's a, there's a uh, tendency in, in healthcare to be, to over-engineer and be overly cautious. And, and I use the term overly very carefully because, um, you know, obviously it is really important to be cautious and it is really important to be sensitive, but I think there's a point at which you, I mean, there are diminishing re, diminishing returns to any additional level of scrutiny or caution, um, and at that point you start to take away from the impact that that can have on people's health, right, and, and accessibility of healthcare, which telemedicine has really opened up. Um, and we're not a telemedicine provider, but we have been uh, helping with this transition. We have created videos to help patients understand how to use different telemedicine tools, and we have uh, incorporated a lot of our messaging to incorporate telemedicine. And it's, it's honestly been um, amazing to see that shift happen so quickly, and I wish that it didn't take a pandemic to, to force the issue on telemedicine, and it hopefully doesn't take you know, future emergencies to force the issue on a lot of other things that are technologically focused that can really help people uh, at the end of the day. Yeah, Vinny, thanks for that. Um, and and we are uh, sadly uh, starting to run up against the end of our time together here. So I, I want to make sure that we ask you um, how our listeners can find out more about Care Message. Sure. Uh, uh, our website is uh, www.caremessage, all one word, .org. So caremessage.org. Um, and uh, at this point, we would be uh, grateful for any recommendations that are um, that that your listeners might have uh, with re with regard to organizations that could benefit from um, this new program that we have launched with the uh, funding support from Johnson and Johnson and uh, others called CM Light, and this is a program that specifically is offering a free version of our platform that is specifically focused on COVID nineteen response. So enabling organizations to communicate with their patients and even organizations outside of healthcare, so food banks or other types of organizations that want to reach their, their beneficiaries and communicate with them, collect data from them, do all sorts of things around communication. It's a completely free solution for them to be able to do that. We have supported over 125 organizations in the last four months. 
and helped reach over 2 million patients with this program. And we're looking just to double that by the end of October. So we would love to, we would love to hear of any recommendations that folks might have. All right. Well, thank you again, Vineet. Um, on behalf of Mike Yuseem and I and the rest of the University of Pennsylvania community, congratulations uh, on the Beacon Award. Um, congratulations on the, the exciting partnership with Johnson & Johnson. And um, thank you um, for the work that you and the rest of the organization are doing to uh, enable healthy lives and healthy communities. Have a great day. Thank you very much. Vineet, thank you. Here, here. Thank you. We'll say a, a special thank you to the Lipman family um, for their philanthropy and service that, that made the Beacon Award and the Lipman Family Prize possible. This is Jeff Klein, Executive Director of the Ann and John McNulty Leadership Program. I'm here with my buddy, Mike Yuseem. This is Sirius XM Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play. 